Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CityWire Wealth Tech Show. This is our podcast devoted to talking about all things technology and wealth. We're looking at investing, we're looking at personal finance, and all things in between. Today, I've got a very interesting guest in the form of Eric Drass, an artist and curator. We're going to take a slightly, a slightly different look at things today. I think this isn't your usual asset management podcast. Um, Eric, quickly, just to get us started, can you tell us a bit about your work, who you are, and what you do? Sure. So uh, I am Eric Drass and I'm an artist and I work in a whole range of uh, materials and mediums, uh, make paintings and digital installations and quite a lot of work involving uh, new AI techniques, Okay. Uh, generative art. So that's, that's right into the, the kind of sweet spot of exciting innovation in this sector because one thing I want to look at with you today is NFTs. And, you know, we, uh, we just polled our audience and we're at the, the Wealth Manager Retreat at the Grove right now. And I think a fifth of the audience said they could confidently explain what a, an NFT is. Could you, Ian? No, I'm, I'm really not convinced I could. And the funny thing is, I've had several conversations with it, yeah, about it at our events. And every time someone explains it, I, I have another 20 questions. Um, Eric, I mean, if you could enlighten me a bit, that would be fantastic. And I feel like most of our listeners are probably in the same boat as me. They've heard a few things, they've read a few things. They know it's kind of a digital replica of a physical asset. But beyond that, I don't know a huge amount. If you can enlighten us. Well, let's start from the beginning. Um, NFC stands for non-fungible token. Now, fungibility in this context is about whether you can split something apart. So I can have a 50 pound note and I can convert it into five 10 pound notes. That's a fungible thing. I can split it up and the collected parts have the same value as the figure as a whole. If I took the Mona Lisa and chopped it into five parts, each of those five parts is not worth anything, right? The Mona Lisa is destroyed. So a non-fungible token is, is about the uniqueness and uh, non-breakdown ability of stuff. Mm. Now, NFTs uh, in their common parlance are usually referring to digital assets like pictures or videos or 3D models or increasingly uh, generative programs that do stuff. Um, and they are minted or they're created and recorded in the blockchain alongside any other transactions like Bitcoin is something that's locked in the blockchain. So with a piece of art, I am able to say this image was created by Eric Drass on the 4th of November, 2021. It's mine. I'm going to put that record in the blockchain. That record in the blockchain is the NFT. Mm -hmm. So it's not the actual physical asset. You're basically, it's the till receipt. So once that thing is in the blockchain, I can sell it to someone else. And then the blockchain will be updated and say, the new owner of this picture is Ian Hall. Mm -hmm. You can then sell it to someone else. And because of the nature of the blockchain being immutable, it has a full history of everything that has occurred with that object. Okay, so why I find that quite interesting is that you've created an asset within, within the blockchain. Is there anything stopping people from creating separate digital worlds or you know, separate thing, you know, alternatives to blockchain and saying, oh, I own this asset, but in this world, I own this asset, but in a different Absolutely. world? Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a problem that's been unsolved, right, because of all... All crypto things tend to be a bit wild west and unregulated. That's also true for artworks. So um, copy minting is a thing in the NFT scene where someone will take an image off another artist and then remint it 
under their own name and sell it on. And there's no, obviously, legal protections, like this kind of reputational management of it, but you mm -hmm. can't actually stop it. If someone wants to right-click and save one of my images and post it as theirs, there's nothing I can do about that, mm -hmm. but there is implicitly kind of an honor system, right, in the, in the nature of NFTs. The idea that I, I created it and I minted it means it's got provenance. So I can trace back from every single transaction all the way back to the very first thing that happened with that object and go, ah, look, Eric Drass with this, this wallet ID created this asset and that wallet ID is unique and distinct to me. So you could use it and say, okay, well, actually this, is, this originated from the right person. But practically speaking, someone who just likes that picture and buys it, they don't necessarily care about that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I find it funny when we talk about these things because people often act like the physical world is somehow flawless. You know, someone draws, you know, a, a painting or makes an art installation that is incredibly valuable. You know, often it could probably be recreated if you wanted. Obviously, there are some very skilled painters out there that could just Absolutely. do a, you know, do a Picasso. So it's it's about um, it's about authenticity, um, and I guess what I term artificial rarity. So why it's interesting for digital artists is that generally the stuff that we produce is infinitely copyable because it's digital artifact. So by introducing this notion of ownership and provenance into the system by using the blockchain, um, you can ascribe a single owner to a file that in and of itself is infinitely copyable, which I think is where it uh, upsets people common sense-wise, because that seems a bit mental. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but obviously as an artist, that's fascinating. You know, I've been making digital art for 20 years and get paid to make installations, but I don't sell digital art, really, because there's no market for it. And now suddenly there is this huge market. Um, unfortunately, it's a market driven by, you know, neckbeard anarcho-capitalists. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, uh, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting moment to be an artist. I you... think we found our soundbite for the episode, Eric. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've got experience of selling NFTs, haven't you? I mean, you, you alluded to that just now. Could you talk us through the kind of uh, art that you're selling it as a non-fungible token and, and you know without going too much into your personal finances how much money that's raising you know is it, is it lucrative so there's uh, like all things blockchain there ain't one single blockchain right? mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of the NFTs that are making big money are being minted and sold on the Ethereum blockchain uh, so all the big ticket items, the people and stuff, they're all on Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum, quite rapidly after the NFT first sort of exploded in the art scene, um, a number of artists investigated the ecological impact. Um, uh, Memo Atkin did a great site about, that calculated the carbon footprint of NFTs <laughs> and found that by using an Ethereum blockchain, uh, actually minting an object so putting that original listing in uh, use something like 162 kilowatts of, of carbon dioxide just to put the initial record in because every yeah. Ethereum machine across the world has to join up and on top of that you've got the whole proof of work thing with Bitcoin farms right? there's a whole inherent in the system is a huge amount of wastage ecologically and however much I'd like to make 50 quid selling a JPEG I can't in good conscience burn down the rainforest doing it right mm -hmm. So um, there are alternative chains that don't use proof of work, they use proof of stake and don't use as much energy. So I, sh having sold a couple on Ethereum, I couldn't in good conscience continue doing that. 
So I shifted to um, Tezos, which is a much smaller chain, but it, it's where most of the artists I respect have gone because it has all the features and affordances of Ethereum, but you don't burn the rainforest down by doing it. And yeah. if you're going to play this crazy game, which is kind of a bit mental, you want to yeah, do it as greenly as possible. Sure. Right? Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that because ESG is something that I've, you know, we, people know that Bitcoin, for instance, uh, Bitcoin mining is, is, is bad for the planet generally. And I know there are efforts being made to, to make that process more green, but it, it's obviously something that's not sustainable as it currently is. What I'd like to ask here is, is obviously there are so many cryptos out there and I've asked a number of our podcast guests about them. And you get opinions ranging from this is a serious, you know, store of value, serious asset to crypto as a Ponzi scheme. You know, well, you know, Bitcoin specifically was referred to as a Ponzi scheme in, in a recent episode. Which cryptocurrencies, you know, in the world of NFTs, do you think have a real role to play? You mentioned Tezos. Are there, are there others as well? Um, I must admit, I'm not really an expert on multiple blockchains. Uh, I think there's there's a few aspects to nfts that are quite interesting um most of the attention is about the money sloshing around but as an artist conceptually they're quite fascinating because they're built on smart contract blockchains which means when i mint when i create my image and put it on the blockchain at that point in time i say any future sale i get 10 percent so as that asset gets passed between people and its value goes up, each time that transaction occurs, baked into the blockchain is a kickback. So there's no, there's no like a gallerist who says, oh, don't worry, I'll pay you later. Like this happens immediately and is an integral part of it. So it's why it attracts a lot of these kind of neckbeard crypto anarchists is because it's entirely outside of regulation. And the trust is built into the system and it's the, the deep trust of the system that kind of makes sense. So one, one of the um, projects I'm involved with is uh, I'm a consultant at Materium who do physical NFTs um, with a view to promoting a better, more circular economy. So uh, they will take physical assets, put them in a safe, effectively, and create an NFT that represents it. So they recently did it with a bar of gold. And it means that you can then trade that NFT around independently. You create a market for a physical object that didn't previously exist. And they've got aspirations for doing it with houses and all sorts of things. But more, more interestingly underneath it, because you've got this accountability and record keeping in the crypto NFT scene, uh, you can follow the path of an object from birth to death. So uh, this table, for example, was made by someone in a factory with some wood. That's all I know. It could have a passport attached to it that said, okay, this tree was cut down here, and this factory has a declaration to say they don't use any child labor, and um, it's re these parts can be reused. So you could have a whole kind of history, like a passport of what this table is, and then I can make a consumer choice. Right? This yeah. table has a beautiful pucker passport. This other table... Oh shit! They've they've not no child child labour regulation, so I'm not going to choose that one. So by making stuff accountable, you can start making decisions about it. So yeah. recording stuff into the blockchain becomes, you know, there are affordances further down the line than just shifting crypto apes. Yeah. So we're obviously creating better information, as you were describing before, almost receipts 
for, for everything that, that's going on. That does, that does make a lot of sense, actually. Yes, I mean, it, Bitcoin is the poster child of crypto, but I think the underlying technology and some of the philosophical ramifications are more interesting than the money-making part of it. But obviously, uh, people concentrate on the money. But Yeah, I've got to say, that is, that is a headline-grabbing thing, though. You hear about NFTs selling for you know, over a million dollars, and, and you have to wonder what, what's going on there. But I mean, I would say the same thing. I mean, it, my example is the uh, Salvador Mundi, right? The, what is effectively the most expensive painting on the planet currently, sold for $415 million. Many art experts don't think it's a Da Vinci. <laughs> they say this is, you know, one of, one of, the, one of his students it's been restored multiple times. Someone painted it to look a bit more like the Mona Lisa, and it's now worth, quote-unquote, 415 million. So it's worth 450 million because that was the last transaction that occurred on that object. Yeah. And that object is unlikely to be hanging on a wall. It's probably in a freeport somewhere waiting to be turned into 500 million the next time they bring it to market. Da Vinci may not have ever touched that thing. Like the whole thing could be a joke, but the faith that it is... And the fact that it is, that faith has been justified by $450 million effectively means you can't pretend that it's not, right? You kind of have to have that belief. Yeah. So um, the value of a crypto ape may seem absurd to you to pay £20,000 for it. It seems absurd to me, but there's a big scene. And I think it's, uh, it's about social performance, right? Just as you may walk into uh, a room carrying a very expensive handbag... This handbag costs 10,000 quid. Other people in the room will go, oh, it's a 10,000 quid handbag, you must be rich. Functionally, a carrier bag would do the same thing, right? Yeah. So it's about that signaling to each other. So when, when these guys are paying 20,000 pounds for, for a pixel punk, it's because they can show it to their friends and go, look, I own this. I've got enough money to own this thing. And it may seem absurd to us that a little 8-bit image is worth that much money, but it's not. It's the social signaling. Yeah, it's almost, you know, they always say art imitates life, but I, I feel like... With NFTs, it's art imitating art. It seems to be very much a replication of what we've already had. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's really about NFTs at the moment. It's very much about introducing a market. Right? So as soon as you turn something into an asset, someone will trade it. Right? That's just, unfortunately, human capitalist nature. Right? If I've got a thing that I can sell to someone else, I'm going to try and sell it and make a profit, or someone will. And this is just um, NFT art kind of humanizes crypto because people understand pictures right in a way they don't really give a shit about numbers going up and down right yeah yeah even though it is mesmerizing especially if you're invested especially in crypto where it's the volatility yeah i mean the solo and that's it i mean the volatility of of not only the underlying token is there but the volatility of the nft market i mean i i genuinely thought this would be all over by now nft wise i mean i did my, i minted my first nft last november um, on Ethereum, and then I moved to Tezos March this year, maybe, um, and did a few, and then the market really calmed down. Right? After the kind of big people um, sale, I was like, oh, this, this is kind of done. And people are getting, because it's so absurd, right? It's fundamentally, at a gut human level, absurd to spend loads and loads of money on a JPEG that you could just save. Yes. But it's fundamentally absurd to spend 10,000 quid on a handbag, but people do it, right? And so by moving something into an asset class that can be used for social signaling is what's happened with NFTs. 
freaks the f out of artists, right? Because they're not used to being paid 20,000 quid for, for JPEG. And so it's a... Uh, It'd be quite a nice way to be freaked out though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've made a few thousand bucks and I felt a bit guilty out of it, Yeah. fundamentally. I mean, I like that there's a market, because as I say, I've been making this stuff for 20 years and there's not really been a market for it, but um, it still feels kind of wrong. Um, particularly because it attracts such terrible art is why it feels wrong. Like if it was all like fantastic fine art in NFTs, I would be much more comfortable playing with it. But as it is, there's, there's some brilliant fine art, but there's loads and loads of terrible, terrible art. And so it kind of taints the reputation of art by association. I find that really interesting. It's that um, you're, you're the artist, and, and feel free to correct me here because I'm absolutely by no means an artist, but it almost feels like we've jumped straight to postmodernism when it comes to NFTs. Uh, in what sense? In, in the sense that it's not necessarily about the quality of the art, it's more the idea oh, okay. that underlines it. It's <laughs> an interesting take on postmodernity. Um, <laughs> and uh, as I said, no doubt any yeah, great one. Well, I'd, in, yeah, they've transformed digital images and movies into an asset vehicle. Mm. And uh, that in and of itself is arguably an artistic act. I mean, Damien Hirst is the, was the master. Right? Didn't he sell, he sold 360 million quid's worth of paintings like the week before the financial crash in 2009? Like that's, that's a savvy, yeah. that's a smart move, right? Sell all your stuff to the rich people before they wake up I'm poor, right? That's fine artistic practice if you can get away with oh, it. Oh, absolutely. That's got to be the long-term goal, surely. Yeah, but I, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a fascinating scene because you've got artists who are traditionally not that invested in capitalism meeting the worst, craziest form of, of anarcho-capitalism that is crypto, and you smash them together in a room, and um, you see what happens, and it's, it's quite weird. But I mean, there is, a, you know, you mentioned Ponzi schemes earlier. There's a bit of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think quite a lot of the activity, if you look in the blockchain, is artists selling to other artists. So for me, on, you know, on Ethereum, you, do, you need to mint yourself 100 bucks worth of Ethereum to do it. And then you go and buy your mate's thing and then they buy yours. And oh, lo and behold, some money's been injected into the system and the price of Ethereum's gone up. Yeah. And so you can't help but be a little suspicious that there's something slightly awry here, that these magic beans are increasing in value <laughs> yeah. based on nothing. I can't see, yeah, ma magic beans is an asset class. I can't see, I can't see taking off in the professional. I don't know, it's what Bitcoin is, right? It, well, yeah, quite possibly. And uh, well, well, one last question, because the people listening to this, I don't think, especially given the regulatory setup in the UK and, and, and most other nations where people might listen into this, I don't think we're really set up for professional investors to invest in NFTs on behalf of clients. Um, well, I don't know. It's risk, right? Yeah. All, th all things are risk. Um, and at the moment, some NFTs are making huge returns. So I, I would certainly have an opinion artistically who's worth buying, but that's not necessarily related to the ones that can make you most cash. It may be the pixel buying a pixel punk and selling it next week is the best way to make money out of NFTs. It's not really art. Yeah, it's 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 something else. Yeah, is it is it more in the realm of speculation? Really, it's more. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I because I'm a, probably the cheaper end of NFTs in the sense I'm not selling them for shit tons of money. Mm -hmm. I, the people who buy my NFTs are people who like the art. Yeah, and who are buying into the ecosystem for a slightly yeah. longer term. They like, like the idea of it and like the art, therefore they will buy it and keep it. 
where I think most of the big money is just people flipping stuff. What, what do you think it says about the relationship between uh, capitalism and arts? Uh, my friend Zen Bullocks likes to say, if it makes money, it's not art. Right, it's a kind of starting point. And I think there's something to be said about that. I think uh, money corrupts all things to some degree, but art in particular. Um, I, think it's, I think it's fascinating and it's quite a wake-up call for artists to be thrown in with the wolves like this. But I would say, certainly amongst my peers, it's about 80-20 split with 80% going, what the is this? You're mental. I want nothing to do with it. And I think certainly the kind of eco story really put off a lot of people. Because it's slightly arcane, right? It's actually not, it's non-trivial to get into the NFT scene. You know, you have to get a wallet and you have to get the tokens and mm. play the game and use the right side. And that's just not the same way as going and selling a painting out of a shop. Yeah. Um, and I think people, yeah, the big money items have generally been pretty poor artistically. And that also puts artists off. Like, well, by association, I'm part of a scene that's terrible. Yeah. And, you know, artists tend to care about their work, whereas yeah. people who trade assets don't really care what the assets are, right? It could be a pair of shoes, it could be a painting, it could be whatever. Absolutely. And, and you know, when, I, when I've heard you talk about your art, you're, you're clearly very passionate about it and put a lot of time and thought into it. So the NFTs that you're selling, is that, do you, do you really consider that work of yours to, to be art or is it, is it something else? No, I do. I think I do. I think it's, it's changed my practice a little um, in the sense that... I, most of the work I do is kind of uh, experimental and I'll do a few examples of that work and I'll move on to something else. But now it's like, well, I, while I'm playing with that stuff and experimenting, I could potentially post this stuff and make money out of it. It's not part of my artistic practice historically. So when I'm playing with stuff, I'm like, oh, actually, I'll make 10 of these and post them and sell them. Whereas before I may have made you know, five, and then put them on Twitter and forgotten about it and something else. So it's changed the practice, and like, and certainly some of the aesthetics. Uh, there are certain kinds of things that work better in crypto than than others. And, and a final question for you, Eric, before I let you go. As I was saying earlier, I, I think in the regulated space, it's unlikely that people are going to plow into NFTs anytime soon. But I always find when you go to conferences like ours, you have conversations with people at tables, and people will tell you privately that they've, they've bought an NFT or they've invested in crypto or you know such like I was at an event um, and I, I mentioned this in the previous podcast actually where uh, myself and Greg Guerin who I, uh, from First Trust he was trying to buy a basketball NFT as we had a conversation over dinner uh, what advice would you have to people you know using their own money doing it personally and we're going to assume they, they're using money they can afford to, to lose um, yeah what would you what would you say about investing in NFTs um, well with my artist hat on, I'd say buy the art that you love, that you care about, um, which is great because artists actually get paid and paying artists is an ongoing problem. Uh, for investment purposes, you kind of have to get deep with the crazy crypto freaks to know what they're into because it, it, can, it astounds me what is popular and not popular in terms of NFT sales. Um, there's quite a lot of this, uh, you know, pixel punks and, and these bored apes and all this sort of stuff where they're kind of variations of a theme um, and people are buying those as I say like social signals like buying a Gucci handbag and I think at the moment as of today on the 4th of November whatever it is that seems to be the thing would I buy one as a retirement investment 
No. <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. Flip it next week, maybe. Yes. Bequeath it to my children to pay that. No, it's. I don't know. I'm not sure a pixel punk is going to have the same value in 10 years' time. That is a, a suitably punchy message to finish with. <laughs> Eric Draft, thank, thank you so much for joining the Wealth Tech Show. A pleasure. And, and thank you to everyone who's listened in. I've been Ian Horn. This, as I've said several times just now, has been the Wealth Tech Show. We'll see you all soon. Mm-hmm.